when we are truly thriving as a species and as an individual being is when everyone and everything around us is thriving as well. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Patrick Cook. Welcome to Being. My guest today is Piers Hampton. As a planetary citizen, Piers explores the lifestyles of many cultures and people, offering us a unique perspective on how we can live and thrive at our best together on this planet. Piers made a decision early in life to forge his own path outside the traditional Western way of life. This decision has brought him into a mindset of service towards all beings, with the understanding that when we are all thriving, all will prosper. His knowledge and passion for creating freedom and prosperity has come from a life living as his own master around the world. Piers Hampton, welcome to Being. If you're enjoying the content, please do subscribe to the show and get a new episode delivered directly to your device every Friday. And as always, I love hearing from you. So please do rate and review the episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whichever platform you prefer. Also, I'm proud to announce that the show is now available on YouTube. And you can also follow us on our new Instagram page, at Being with Patrick Cook. For show notes and more information, head on over to being-podcast.com. Now, on with the show. Piers Hampton, welcome to Being. Thank you for being here, brother. Thank you so much for having me, Patrick. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, right on. So we met actually in person um, last year at Envision Festival. For those who don't know, is kind of the burning man of the jungle here in Costa Rica. Uh, just a fabulous event. And Piers was there, part of a, a camp that I was um, staying in. And got to know you a little bit. I know it was a little chaotic, but I could just, you know, feel your energy and your positivity and your connection. And uh, we've kept in touch ever since. And it's just an honor and pleasure to drop within, drop in with you here today, bro. Yeah, it's so lovely. And I do remember that so smooth. Like, it's such an amazing time, that week in the jungle. And <laughs> as you said, it was chaotic. The amount of people we met, but the yeah. amount of beautiful connections that we created at that week that have just kind of unfolded over the years since then is been phenomenal. Totally, man. I was actually reflecting on that the other day. It's like when I sort of in earnest started down this path of personal transformation, started saying yes to like going to retreats and really putting myself out there and being vulnerable and putting yourself in positions to to grow exponentially. The people I've met, you know, and how I've stayed in contact with them, how they've impacted my life over years, you know, and a lot of the guests I've, I've had on the show so far have been people I've met in those containers. And it's just, uh, you know, I was reading on your website about how you can ripple out your effect into the world. And th these events and these uh, retreats are a, a good example of one place to do that. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, it's, it's amazing, actually, like when you start looking at uh, self-development and growth, how important it is about relationships and yeah. the other people around you. Like, and I, I play with manifestation a lot as a lot of us do, and probably a lot of the listeners do. And so much of manifestation is actually to do with the other and the, the people closest to you. And even just the people that you've never physically interacted with the other people on the planet, mm. they're 
just as important and integral to your manifestation as the self. Wow. That's awesome. Maybe we can unpack that a little bit. But first, I think, you know, for people who don't know who you are, Piers Hampton, what is like, who are you? What is your mission? What is your life purpose? What has your journey been so far to get you to this place? Beautiful question. <laughs> uh, so I'm 31 years old now, and it has been a very unique journey for me in my lifetime. I've actually chosen in the past decade to not subscribe to the traditional kind of system of having a job and, you know, security and having, having those comforts around me mm. to keep me feeling safe. And I've decided to throw myself in a way to the wind and in a little way as like a lone wolf, kind of putting myself into situations that are not necessarily even the cleverest um, and just to see what the outcome is over mm. that time. An example would be uh, in 2015, I went to New York City and I booked a one-way, uh, sorry, a, a two-way ticket, but I was there for three months and I arrived with a hundred US dollars in my pocket and I lived for the three months. I managed to create money while I was there, mm. but I basically arrived with that hundred dollars and just let my life happen and let those three months unfold, which is such a beautiful story. Mm. And, uh, you know, I started sleeping in the park. That was how I managed to stretch out that hundred dollars for the first few weeks was I was in a park in Brooklyn, like it was summertime and yeah, put myself in a situation. I was very safe and I made sure I was, you know, surrounded by, um, you know, as much safety as I could, mm. but I just, I had so many beautiful angels, around me other people who i met who heard my story and saw my story and decided to just even just give me a watchful eye or offer me a little bit of work or friendship company uh so doing things like that uh definitely i think it was when i was about 22 23 i actually i'd been working as a barista so mm. making coffee in different uh cities around the world and um that was taking up a lot of my time. I was spending 40, 50 hours a week making coffee for others. And I loved it. I loved, you know, yelling out the coffee orders to people and, you know, giving people their best latte in the morning and, you know, bringing that morning joy. Uh, and I realized that actually I didn't want to work for someone else per se. And I had bigger things that I wanted to be doing as well on the planet. You know, I kind of was working for money and I realized, and what I've realized over the years is, I don't want to work for money. I want to work for my joy and for my highest good and the mm. highest good of everyone and everything. And in turn, I find that the income and the money flows, uh, which has been an experience that I've had. You know, I've, I kind of put myself in the, in the deep end and have had moments where I haven't had much around me. It's like such as when I went to New York City with $100 and just the outcome has been pure abundance. So... Mm definitely kind of untraining myself from you know how we get trained at school and mm. how we especially here in Australia the definite and I think it would be the same in America the definite idea of you know going to school and going to uni and getting a, a blue collar job or especially here in Australia to become a tradie so a tradesman having a, a trade and I just didn't subscribe to that. I decided, mm. you know, my life is different. My path is different. And 
yeah, I, I find I do also get itchy feet. So if I did sink my feet into something for too long, I'd be like, okay, what's next? I've learned this. Okay. It's, it's not mm. about the money now. It's what's the next facet. And through all of this, I've realized um, through my path that it's actually, and I think, you know, a lot of people know this and a lot of the great teachers know this. It's, it's actually about service to yep. others and to our world totally. as opposed to like what it is for ourselves. And we come in turn with that as well. If we are providing service, we then get served by the universe. We get mm. offered all the abundance by the universe. And yeah, I, I do have a big long-term goal. And basically my goal right now is um, by the year 2028, I would love to see every person on the planet receive a universal basic package. So not just a universal basic income, but actually a package of what is necessary for them to survive on a day-to-day basis. And it's a big goal. It's a big dream. Uh, I know not everybody needs it. So there's ways to actually figure it out where it could actually go to the people most in need. But it's things like, you know, I'm actually a vegan myself, so I don't eat meat uh, for my health reasons and for the animals. And it's things like, we, if we stopped the produ- production of beef, beef alone, we would actually have a pound of grain a day for everybody on the planet. Mm-hmm. So just by stopping that one industry, we could actually feed everybody on the planet this pound of grain a day. And that could be part of that basic universal package. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that's kind of the manifestation, the direction that I'm pushing myself in towards. Uh, which is unfolding, you know, it, it's off with the universe right now. It's percolating and it's, it's, I can see it coming about. Um, and it, it comes just in time. Actually, a lot of uh, some big scientists talk about 2029 being the year of unity. So mm. I figure if we are all to be unified, I think we all need to be fed. <laughs> awesome. Wow. What a lofty and beautiful goal that is. Uh, it's, it's incredible to have that kind of vision and to be looking forward. But just coming back to what you're talking about, you, um, like how we're conditioned in society to follow the rules and go down a certain path and check the boxes of going to school, getting good grades. You know, for me, it was, you know, a house and wife and kids and a car and all that stuff. And that's supposed to lead us to fulfillment and happiness. Um, but it takes a level of courage and self-trust to break out of that pattern. So I'm really curious, um, cause this is a, a theme that comes up a lot on the show is how do we break free of those societal conditioning patterns, those generational ancestral patterns, and really have the courage, summon the courage and the self-trust to leap out of it and out of our comfort zone and go to New York City with $100. Like, what are some practical um, you know, advice you could maybe give to listeners? How do you, how do you take that step? Mm, great question. For me, it always leads back to meditation. Mm, actually yes, coming in and doing that self insight. So yes. when I was 22, I completed my first Vipassana, Vipassana being the meditation technique that the Buddha created to reach enlightenment. And that, uh, that time, that 10 day period of going internal and actually seeing what other facets of our existence that is fulfilling 
and also observing that suffering, you know, is part of life. That's actually an integral part of life mm. as much as pleasure. And I think having, being able to sit through 10 days of Vipassana, no talking, observing the mind, observing the self is probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done. And I go back and I do them again. And every time it re reaffirms like, wow, that's actually really difficult. And, you know, you're there in day two going, I want to leave. Yeah. This <laughs> is hell. Why am I here? But you <laughs> realize okay, I, I put myself here on purpose to yeah. like just to observe myself and observe what is real for me. And through that, that has really helped me to realize that I can step into any situation and, go into any sort of uh, anything that's happening around me and, and be okay. And even if it means that I need to actually go and sit in a, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 minute meditation uh, during that experience, which is what I did in New York. I had, mm. I had three or four days in, I had a really terrible day. I was sleeping outside. It started raining and I was like, shit, <laughs> it's raining. <laughs> and like, where am I going to sleep? Yeah. And I was freaking out and I got a little bit like, worried and i was okay go and meditate and i went and i sat uh under a bit of cover and i just went into meditation and immediately i i just felt myself drop out of this ego into my heart and this all pervading warmth just spread over my body and just like so much joy and happiness filled me up and i was like i don't need anything else i actually all i need is being here in my body with myself and that is my utmost fulfillment and that's my utmost joy in myself. And then I went out and, you know, brought that to the world. Like, and that, that's a big facet of part of my interplay as well. So I have done a lot of travel over the past decades mm. as we were allowed to travel. Now I'm actually not allowed out of Australia. The country is closed to the world at the moment, but for the past 10 years, I traveled and I lived in places like Europe and London and Italy and America. And I've lived in Asia, Cambodia, uh, Bali, et cetera, et cetera. Lots of places around the world. And yeah, through observing how other countries and other cultures and other people live really opens you up to what alternate potentials there are for operating on this planet it's not mm. just the western society's way of like you said uh school school uni work wife babies job mm. death like it, it's not <laughs> that necessarily that's that's one way and it does work and it's going to work for countless people but there are multiple dimensions to it mm. um and to i think society from my observation is very self-governing so when you're in a society, say here in Australia, if you do something that's outside of the norm, people around you kind of pack you back into what's normal because it mm -hmm. scares them a bit. Yeah. You know, if someone's acting different, like, oh, you're being weird. So they yeah. pack you back into that what's normal. And so for me, by stepping outside of the realm of Australia and stepping into other Western countries, Asian countries, quote unquote, third world countries, et cetera, et cetera. I've, I've experienced that there's so many more ways to live, operate on the planet. And every time that I do that and every, every new experience I have reaffirms that I don't just have to stick with that old paradigm. I can create my new paradigm mm. and it's piecing together 
all the little bits and pieces that bring me joy, all mm. of the all of the things that I see other people doing because I, I learn from everybody else, from my own experience and from observing others. Mm. And so if I see someone who I haven't been a surfer my whole life, but I saw people who were surfing when I was living in Bondi a few years ago, and I really was like, wow, they seem so peaceful and happy and they come out of the water. It's like, I got to try this. Mm. And so I took that little facet from, from watching them having their experience and I integrated it into my life and it's become a major priority in my life. <laughs> Me it's, too. It's another, right? <laughs> yeah. It's another form of meditation. It's yeah. a form of exercise. It, when you're out there, you have all the negative ions in the water and just it opens you up and just like allows you to be totally present in the moment, like to be, mm. as the name of this podcast, to be just in a place of being, mm-hmm. beingness. Yes. So, yeah, that's that's been a big one for me. Wow. So many threads I want to follow in that response, <laughs> but I'll try to narrow it down. I think at the essence of it, though, is what we're talking about is self-actualization and awakening. And it begins with an inward journey. Like I've always been a seeker my whole life, like a voracious reader. I loved um, learning. I loved traveling. I went to all the major ancient ruins all over the world. Loved it. But I didn't get it that all the answers that I needed were inside of me first, right? And so this happened to me much later in life that, you know, I I recognized that I had to go inwards first to discover who I was at the the base essence and then operate from that place. And I think what you're talking about, um, about Vipassana meditation or any meditation for that matter, allows us to know ourselves absent of external influence. And for a lot of people, that's freaking terrifying, right? Because they're afraid of what they're going to find on the inside because it's scary, it's painful, it's uncomfortable. And so that's why a lot of people don't do that work. But I think more and more people are waking up to the fact that it's their responsibility to do that work and it's the path to freedom, right? When you when you really tune into that wholeness and you heal what needs to be healed or you release what needs to be released or you transmute what needs to be transmuted, you come back to a place of wholeness and then you can operate and move into the world through that place as you have done. And then, like you said, you, you can't be knocked over. Nobody can you know, take away that wholeness and that happiness because you've cultivated it inside. And that is, it's a major theme of this podcast and my life. So thank you for sharing your perspective on that. Um, and surfing, again, is another facet where I, you know, there's connection with nature. Obviously, there's exercise, but, you know, the, the meditative state when you're just sitting there and I find it's kind of uh, polar in the sense that you're sitting there waiting for the waves. You're just like, you're moving up and down and then a big set comes in. All of a sudden you're in like adrenaline mode. And if you don't move, you don't act, you're going to get throttled. <laughs> right. And then you're on the wave and then it's pure presence. There's no, when you're actually on the wave, it's, there's nothing else. Time is like, it's full flow state. And then you're back to the meditative and it's such a beautiful practice. Um, yeah, man. So this is awesome. I'm so uh, thrilled to get a chance to drop in with you and, and hear more about your story. Um, again, I want to make it as practical as possible for people. So I was reading your, your website, uh, and it says through creating a mindset of abundance, Piers has learned that anything he can imagine is possible. What a powerful statement that is. He learned to trust in his own abilities to keep moving forward and to find strength within himself. So what I wanted to ask you is what is a mindset of abundance and how do we cultivate it? How do we achieve it? Mm, mm, Beautiful question. Mm. So the way that I'm seeing it, is that the universe is abundance. Mm. There is 
so much, an infinite supply of matter and energy in our universe, you know, it, it, all we have to do is look outside even our planet. Mm. Even on our planet, there is more than enough for everybody on our planet to have more than enough plus to provide more for if we bring more people to this planet as well. But we have been trained, and I don't know the inner mechanics of why we've been trained. I could have some conspiracy theories, but we have been trained into a lack mentality. Mm. And it, it comes, it's a generational thing. It's, it's our parents, it's both my parents have, I've grown up experiencing having a lack mentality that they've had and they probably got it from their parents as well. And it's this training that, you know, you have to work hard or you have to um, go without or that you have to, there isn't enough and, mm. you know, people are starving and because of that, like there isn't enough and we have to like, hoard and keep everything in our little box of stuff and we can't share and we can't give to others when in fact there is a uh, plenty of, i could walk into my backyard right now and feed myself and all the people who are here living in the property i'm with just with weeds mm. you know weeds that are <laughs> and that's an abundance right there it's a it's a plant that is in the wrong spot but right. most weeds are edible and okay so beautiful and first example of there being an abundance if we talk about something like a scarce uh, material like gold, mm. so we, we say that gold is, um, is scarce, but there's an asteroid out there in our solar system that has three times the world's GDP of gold sitting on it. It is just a block of gold, right? And that, that's monetarily abundant, right? But that, that's sitting out there in our universe. We have an infinite source and flow of energy, whether that be from our earth or from our sun and from also the aether around us, we can tap into energy sources on many different levels. And breaking free from that lack mentality, which, you know, if I'm really honest, I grew up experiencing that and have spent many, many years dealing with that. And I'm still dealing with that on so many levels. You know, as you break one level down, you realize that underneath that there's more and it's the thought below the thought, below the thought, below the thought. And really it, it's coming down again to the, the factor of love and fear, right? Mm. Like what are the two or like base thoughts of anything that, that create anything in life? It's love or fear. Fear contracts and it closes and it brings together and it just like really like it stops the potential yeah. when love like a base thought of love opens and it releases and it provides and it creates and it it's it's an infinite energy flow and it, it you can feel it when you practice this mentality of love it you feel it filling you up and when you are in that state abundance being a mindset so by simply going you know you could go into a situation where you just want to look around you and see what things are abundant. And so, mm. okay, like I need, I need to survive. I need water. Fortunately for us, I have a whole glass of water here and a, a faucet or a tap that I can get essentially an infinite supply of water from. I can water my gardens. That's such an necessary part of our reality. And it, it's in abundance. Oxygen, you know, the oxygen that is all around us. Mm. We, we need that from our first breath, right? We need 
oxygen to survive. Obviously, we all breathe. And we haven't yet run out of oxygen. There is an abundance of oxygen. I do hope that we make the right choices as a species with our production of greenhouse gases and things like that to not uh, pollute the supply. But we do have this infinite loop of oxygen out there. So there's an abundance of these necessary elements for us to just thrive and survive as beings on this planet. You can talk about the food. We've talked about food, shelter. Like we as a species survived for many, many years uh, by creating shelter for ourselves out of plants and out of um, other tools and implements or naturally formed shelters such as caves. And now we are in a position where we can start to build these structures around us that provide us security and shelter and, and in turn as well sleep. Um, so we're talking about real base levels for just our survival here. Mm -hmm. The next one that I really look at is community. And I yep. actually think that it's necessary for our survival that we have community. No, anyone who says, I, I don't need anybody to survive or thrive or whatever. I, I think that they've actually got it fundamentally mistaken where actually like from your birth, you've needed other people and you will continue to need other people up until your death. 100%. I totally agree. Right. And, you know, things like hugs. Hugs are um, a nutrient. We actually need a certain <laughs> amount of hugs a day to thrive and to grow. And there is an abundance of other people on the planet around us. And it's like, it's just, you know, creating that connection, you know, that energetic connection to create that feeling of, okay, I'm loved and I'm supported, which then creates that loop, right? That self-fulfilling loop of, okay, I'm supported. I have all of the necessary things to survive around me. And I have like beautiful people around me. I can go out and do anything. I can go out and give the world anything because I have this mindset of everything that I actually really need is here with me already. Yes. Beautiful. Wow. <laughs> Again, so much uh, wisdom packed into that answer. I'd love to ask you about all of it. But uh, a couple of things that came up for me is, is how powerful we are as creators of our own reality. And it comes down to where we focus our energy and our attention. Right. So if you are focused on a lack mentality, a scarcity mentality, a negative mindset, guess what's going to manifest in your world? All of the things that represent that, you know, it's the the reflection of the universe is reflecting back what you're putting out. So the more we can orient towards and it doesn't have to be, um, you know, you can you can fall into fall into a trap of like toxic positivity or just turning a blind eye to to problems or or obstacles. And that's spiritual bypassing. But um at its essence, if you can orient towards an abundance mindset and a positive and recognize how much you are in control and how powerful we are as individuals, everything shifts, right? And then coming to the back to what something you said about, you know, and this might venture into the conspiratorial realm, but scarcity as a, um, a mechanism, a mechanism of control. You know, there's powers in the world that are interested in keeping us in a low vibration, in fear, in scarcity, isolated from one another, not in community, not in connection with ourself and our wholeness, you know, and that manifests in the system in so many different ways. Like we're working 40, 50 hours just to pay the bills. You know, you come home, you're exhausted. You just want to have a glass of wine or a beer and fall asleep or, you know, or tune out to Netflix. You don't, you don't have the space or energy to sit in stillness and come back to that wholeness. And so you just continue down this 
unconscious, distracted path and you basically sleepwalking through life, right? So that's why I was kind of asking you at the beginning, how do you sort of recognize that you're in that negative feedback loop? And then, you know, what's the, what are the steps to break out of it? Um, because I think at its essence, everybody has to be doing this work now in order for us to, to really move into the next phase of humanity. Because if we don't, I think there's a sense of urgency here that it's, it's clear that we're going down a, down a very dangerous path, uh, you know, perhaps towards extinction uh, or at least um, negating our ability, obsoleting our ability to thrive on this planet. So mm. I don't know. I don't know if there's a question in there, but that was just sort of my reflection to what you were saying. I did hear a question. It, it's the idea of like the work, you know, and yes. what is the work yes. that we can do? And it's like, it's actually not a lot. And it goes back to meditation. Mm. The work is actually really not hard or a lot or really like you don't have to go out and do a bunch of different things. It, and it's about, you know, focusing that energy, mm. coming and even sitting for half an hour a day by yourself, untrained. If you've never done meditation in your life, just sitting untrained by yourself in a space of just observing your space as it is yeah that's the work and that it's it's that simple you know and i think it kind of on the same theme people are caught in this idea that we have to go out and be busy little bees and do 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 and you know to quote my mom and also i think this works for the name of your podcast we are not human doings we are human beings yes love that right love that. yeah we're here to be and if you look at, and, and we're here for presence, to be in presence in the mm -hmm. now, the eternal now. And I, something that I believe it was the Buddha said, don't quote me on who said this, but basically the, the best work we can do, like the most uh, fulfilling and the most productive thing that we can actually do any day is just to sit in meditation with ourselves. Mm -hmm. That is the most productive thing, which goes completely opposite <laughs> of how, especially in Western culture, we are trained. Do, 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 work, 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 yeah. assignment, assignment, assignment. And it's it's like, even for me now, having all of the learning and experience that I've had, I still go, oh, like, it's that simple. I just have to go and sit for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, mm. an hour, however long it is. And that's the most important action of non-acting I can do in a day, mm. not doing being. Yes, totally. And I think there's, there's a balance there. Definitely being is sort of the, the Eastern philosophy to know thyself and it's super, super important, but there is the balance between being and becoming because there is a, a, an impulse, a fundamental evolutionary impulse within us to be more to constantly be growing, to be evolving, to learn, you know, and I think in a capitalist society that shows up as competition between each other, right? Because we're, we're competing for scarce resources, right? But at its essence, it's, it's, it's an impulse that we want to be better in the world. So there is a balance between being and becoming, but most people are not focusing on and cultivating the being aspect of themselves first. They're just going straight to the doing. So I just have to, I have to be in competition. I have to make money and you get caught in the survival mode of fight and flight. You get caught in your ego, right? And that's the, that's the paralysis that the world is in is we're caught in this ego trap. Um, but 
like we said earlier, if you come back to that stillness, that sense of being first, and then you operate from that place and take action from there, then you'll be far more effective, far more fulfilled, probably make more money. You know, all of these things that we're chasing would by the doing aspect can be brought to us with ease and joy and fulfillment if we tap into who we are first. Right. And that's that's where Western society has it completely backwards. It's like, okay, do, 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 make all the money, then retire, then you can be. And it's like, what? That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and again, mm -hmm. you know, at the risk of sounding conspiratorial, I think it's in the best interest of the powers that be to keep us that way because we're more easily controlled when we're busy, when we're distracted, when we're fearful, when we're sick, when we're scared. Right. Mm. And so coming back to that place of being in wholeness, sitting still is an act of revolution. It's a rebellion, you know, and it's taking mm -hmm. your power back. And that's mm -hmm. probably my primary goal with this podcast is to remind people how pow powerful they are and encourage mm -hmm. them to come back to that place of being and then move from there and be effective in the world and be more fulfilled and make more money. Like, who doesn't want to do that? For sure. And it's funny <laughs> how you actually said it's in their best interests for like, we could use the word elites. Yes. Uh, that's just, just a word. Don't attach that to this, but it's, as you said, it's in their best interests, but really because, because you said there's a scarcity mindset, right. And they mm. want this greed. Greed is an ego based yeah. thing. Yeah. Right. So they, they want more for themselves because of, I guess the lack of security in themselves thinking that they don't, won't survive if yeah. they don't have, more. It's fundamental There's, insecurity and fear, right? right. And woundedness. And there are, exactly. There yeah. are studies that have been done that they look at, okay, is, is that better off for them? And if some people are not having enough, if they're having enough, is that better off for them? Or if everybody, including everyone, the kids in Africa, the people in Asia, the people in Europe, the Americans, South Americans, the Australians, if everybody had enough to be thriving and it's it's it is fairly fairly basic we spoke about it at the start of the podcast mm -hmm. if everybody had enough there's those elites there's that word again they actually would be better off there they'd be actually in a better situation when everybody has enough just to survive each day just mm -hmm. just, just to be able to succeed through the day and thrive throughout that day Mm -hmm. And that, that is a, it's a fundamental mindset change from, as we said, that fear into that place of love and realizing that it's when we are truly thriving as a species and as an individual being is when everyone and everything around us is thriving as well. And mm -hmm. of course in life, like in life, there are deaths and there is, you know, calamity that is part of life. But in the meantime, prior to that future transformation, that experience where everybody's thriving is what's going to bring us our highest enlightenment. Mm. And that's why for me, I'm like, okay, like I've stepped outside of the, the realm of I have to work and do and um, create abundance for myself monetarily and for houses, et cetera, where it's like, okay, let's get everybody on the planet looked after it's a big mm. goal but only at that point can i turn around and go okay now we can really do the work mm. yes well what just came up for me is that how do you not create a sort of welfare state 
you know, if you're taking care of everybody, it has to be um, one of my mentors and somebody I listen to a lot, Daniel Schmachtenberger calls a cultural enlightenment, where we're providing education and self-development and, and what we're creating are citizens that can contribute positively to a healthy democracy, to a healthy collective, to a healthy conversation on what ought to be, not just what is. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just about feeding and taking care of them. It's like, let's develop human beings on a, at scale. And so we can have a collective consciousness, a collective intelligence that is operating in everybody's uh, best interests. And one of the, the metaphors he uses is a, a cell in the body. You know, you, you have a cell, say, within the liver, you know, and it's autonomous. It has its own sovereignty. It's operating in its best interest to survive, but it's also contributing to the best, what's best for the liver and the body by extension, right? So it's not just going off and doing whatever the hell it wants at the expense of everybody else. It's doing what's best for it and the whole at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. And so right now we have a bunch of humans just bumping into each other, you know, competing and trying to get profit and, you know, taking, taking advantage of each other. What we need is that entire thing operating as a whole, as an organism. And because we're so um, new to this idea of abstract thinking and consciousness just coming on online and, you know, yesterday in evolutionary terms, you know, this is a new thing and we're fucking it up, frankly. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully we don't well, fuck it up. Yeah, we don't fuck <laughs> it up so bad that we obsolete our you know, ability to continue on the planet. That's why there's a sense of urgency. But I think at the root of everything we're talking about, yes, you have to have your fundamental needs of survival, taking care of food, water, shelter. But then beyond that, community education, um, you know, cultivating more powerful, grounded, whole, healed humans at scale, right? Mm -hmm. And again, the system or the powers that be, uh, that's not in their best interest. And so, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a massive hurdle. But I think at mm -hmm. the individual level is where we begin. And that's why, you know, taking responsibility for your own, how you show up in the world, and then rippling that outward in, in community is the best way to change the world. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that's, that's what I've found as being one, one of the best ways to educate others. You know, if you see someone doing something that you don't think is for their best interests, you can go and tell them, but if they really don't want to hear it, or if they haven't asked, they probably mm. won't listen. Yeah. If you lead by example, leading by example is a great way to teach because people it. observe and they see the outcome. They're like, wow, that really worked for that person. I might take that on board. Yeah. Something I heard yesterday that kind of plays into what you're talking about is this idea that as a species, we don't have a, a collective myth, something that we as a collective are all like working towards. We're, we're kind of not sure why we're here on the planet and we don't, as, as a collective I'm talking, we don't have like a general like why are we here, what's our reason, what are we working towards, uh, what are we meditating towards, what are we mm. being towards. And it's, that is something that's fundamentally right now. It's one of the first times in, um, that we are aware of in our history where we don't have that collective myth mm. that we are heading towards. And that's something that religion has solved in the past and different aspects of, uh, we've had that. And I think, you know, now coming into the Western culture, we're seeing more and more people having this awakening and this realizing that it's not just about the self it is we are an organism this whole planet mm. is a living organism and you know i'm create for me like cultivating this idea of a myth in my mindset of 
okay, like it's not just me, it's we're here to make the world better for everyone and everything and the universe better for everyone and everything and the future generations mm. uh, to, to forward evolution, to enhance and to succeed, to succeed through life, uh, just to, to leave the world better than it was when we got here. Mm. And it, it's, you know, this is a new concept that I've actually come across recently and like coming down to the hard nails of what, the myth is is uh still in a way eluding me and that's great because it gives me something else to be working towards you know mm. always having having that next thing to learn or that next little kind of pull allows you to go okay there is some more to work towards and it's interesting you look at you know some diseases and that happen to people on the planet it seems that disease occurs when you don't have something that you are uh, trying to lead yourself towards, like if you are just in a state of uh, passiveness and um, not not like feeling that you actually have anywhere that you're going, that's when your body can start to shut down and say, "Well, what's what's the necessity of me being here? I, I'm not an integral organism anymore." And the body will actually shut itself down and maybe create cancers and other mm. diseases like that. And there's, there was this story I heard of this uh, quite famous author. He uh, was, before he was an author, he was diagnosed with a terminal illness and he was like, okay, well, before I go, I have to create some money for my wife and my future generations that are still here on the planet. Uh, so he went about and he wrote 10 books in a really short period of time, six months to a year. And by the time he finished his 10th book, because he'd found purpose and reason, his terminal illness was gone. He, wow. he healed himself just with purpose. And that, that, like, that gives me shivers to think about mm. that. It's like, wow, go and sit and figure out your purpose every day. You know, that will change. Purpose changes. You know, you're going to achieve your purpose at one time in your life and go, okay, what's the next step? What is my next purpose? And that it can change and shift every day. And, you know, that, that's really that, like, centeredness on you know, awareness of the self and where you are and uh, what what the base, like, volition is for your actions. Mm. Going back into, you know, how we're, we like to be busy little bees and do, 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 do. Are you, like, why? What's your reason for going out and doing these doings? Like, mm. do you, like look, look deep, deep, deep. And is that coming from a place of lack I have to work, I have to go do these things because I don't have enough and I have to make more for my family, lack, lack, lack. Or is it coming from a, oh, I actually want to go out and, you know, make more forests and create more abundance and create more connection and actually have that volition of, oh, I want to spread more love in the world. And that then leads into that purpose, which then, you know, when it comes to manifestation, that base volition is what's going to manifest externally from the actions, yes. right? So it, it is a whole technique. This, this conversation isn't purely about manifestation. We don't need to go through the, the mm. ups and downs of manifestation today, but really like that base thought is so important, love or fear, mm. love or fear. And you can always question yourself, this action that I'm taking right now in my life, what is the base, base, base thought for this? And then, you know, if you find it is fear, you can be really just like calm with yourself and go, okay, I, I acknowledge that I'm acting from fear. 
and I'm going to be calm and forgive myself and have a compassion to myself. But what can I, what action can I take that sponsors the thought or the base volition of love Mm. and see then in your life, what outcomes can come from that? Mm beautifully articulated and i totally agree we have a choice in every moment every action every thought every reaction and um questioning ourselves and being aware if it's coming from love or fear that is a great uh, barometer to check in with yourself Uh, but it does take a level of self-awareness and that only comes through uh stillness and and reflection and meditation again is a fabulous tool so i highly recommend it Um, but i love what you said about um a myth that we don't have a unifying myth um and that reminded me of another school of thought um about game A and game B. And if you're not familiar, I'll just sort of run through it quickly. Uh, a group of sort of visionary thinkers in around 2013 came out. Jordan Hall was, I think, the guy who, who coined the term. Um, but game B being described as the status quo and what we've been doing for the last 10,000 years, why civilizations have risen and fall and every civilization has eventually crumbled and sort of analyzing, okay, what are the characteristics of civilization so far? Why have they all crumbled and we're looking we're watching the united states right now which is basically in the death throes of what a democracy looks like an empire looks like when it's crumbling and they identified the sort of characteristics of of being uh, fragility rivalrous games and centralization um as and so we're looking towards what game b is what they call it would be where we have a civilization that's thriving society that's thriving like the whole like the liver i was talking about earlier where everybody's contributing in their best interest and what's best for the whole and what does that look like so anti-fragile which means more pressure that's put on it it gets stronger rather than more when more pressure gets put on it it collapses like we're looking at the financial system uh, which might be a nice segue into what i want to talk about next uh anti-rivalrous where i was talking about in in capitalism where we're just in competitive competition for each other and fundamentally incentivized to disinform and, and you know um spread lies into the information ecology for strategic advantage and then centralization where it's one power uh, basically top down you know and broadcasting all the news from a centralized place and so game b or what a, a myth could be is you know this idea and nobody really knows what it looks like but that's the formation of this myth we can do together over time and it looks like something that's decentralized and what that looks like at the base level is each individual, like I was talking earlier, um, doing the individual work of personal development, then they contribute to the next layer of community and family first, and then, you know, um, small community building outwards of, you know, everybody is um, healed and whole and in tune and educated and their basic needs are taken care of. So we can contribute to a greater society. And then that society becomes a nodal point of nodal points all over the world that becomes a decentralized network of collective intelligence and choice making, which then is a bottom up system rather than a top down system. Right. And that's kind of what I uh, tap into or what I, what came up for me when you mentioned a myth, a myth uh, like a mythic sort of goal, that's what it is for me. And so my question to myself is how do I behave? How do I show up every day in order to be a better citizen, a uh, contributor to that collective consciousness? Um, and one of the, the other place that we um, intersected, which, which was uh, a cryptocurrency mastermind where you shared 
a lot of your knowledge and wisdom with me and the others in the group. And it's put me on a whole other level now, um, looking at what blockchain does, looking at what Bitcoin, looking at what cryptocurrency does, and how that can be part of a valuable tool in this decentralized game B myth, right? So maybe this is a good time to sort of uh, dive into that for people, because I, I definitely am a, a total noob, a total rookie to the world. Um, but for people who don't know, can you maybe explain what is blockchain, what is cryptocurrency, and what is Bitcoin? Just sort of gloss mm. over the, the, uh, the details. Yeah, I'll definitely do that for you. It's interesting because a lot of people have probably heard the word Bitcoin. Mm. Not as many people have probably heard the word blockchain. Mm. And I think right now there's kind of an understanding around this technology and that's what blockchain is. It's a new technology. You can observe it as a virtual machine. So a machine that doesn't have nuts and bolts, it actually mm. it acts and uh, operates on the internet and throughout, like in a decentralized fashion, uh, throughout a bunch of different nodal points around the world. And it's not just based around currency and finance. It's not just a monetary thing money is just one of its use cases so bitcoin being um the first blockchain developed in 2009 as a distributed ledger so say you own a business and every time you make a sale you write you know that sale down how much you took in and then that's a ledger that's happening with this dist distributed ledger that blockchain and Bitcoin is built upon, it basically creates many different copies of the same ledger that are stored on many different computers around the world. Mm -hmm. And they all have to reach a point of consensus for any transaction to go through and be accepted by the system. So you can't fraudulate the system uh, and you have a complete um, records and un adulterated records of any transactions that have happened um, in the past. And that's what builds, uh, without getting too te technical, that's what builds these chains of blocks that we've called the technology blockchain. Uh, and there's, there's an infinite, if I can say, an infinite amount of use cases for this technology. And I'm still very much learning. I have a decent amount of knowledge, but it's, it's, Almost like, you know, a good way to kind of think about it is we saw the internet kind of come about 2000, no, sorry, 1995 to the year 2000 was really the birth of the internet getting out to the masses. And it was still very early days. People thought that at that point it was just an email. They were like, oh, I can send an email back and forth. It's, it's okay, great. But it's evolved to now, like, I'm talking to you through the internet and we're sharing this to hundreds, thousands, millions people uh, who can at any time in their life decide to turn this on and watch this now. And there's so many facets to the internet and it's become our whole reality. We do our work on the internet. We do our communication, our conversation, our ordering. Everything is on this platform that they've built. And you can kind of see the virtual machine that is blockchain as being this new layer of the internet um, this new next evolution of that, but still being in such early days that the 
actual outcomes and the way it's going to fundamentally change our operation status quo on the planet is yet to come. And where mm. we can we can discuss, you know, the different potentials there are. Uh, one of them being uh, governance. Mm-hmm. And that that is very, very interesting because living in a de- democratic society here in Australia, I have voted. And I know I remember, you know, since being 18 years old, going whenever it's necessary, going and writing my ballot and putting that in the thing and go, okay, I voted. But I didn't really feel like, was it what's it doing? Where's mm-hmm. it going? You know, I don't really know. It didn't feel like I'm actually having a say. It's just mm-hmm. I I'm actually in Australia, you if you don't vote, you have to pay a fine. So I'm almost in a way forced to go and vote, right? Um and then the other day, this new, um, this separate blockchain from Bitcoin, it's called Cardano. They've integrated their government system, their governance system, and I, I actually cast my first vote into that governance system. And they're going to be doing uh, voting throughout their system throughout the years, where we as operators on that platform on that blockchain get to actually choose the direction where that decentralized virtual machine is going and for the first time in my life i experienced actual like voting power i was like wow like this my say matters Mm. and it's 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 not going to be adulterated they're not going to be able to go and mute me and my choice that is forever as long as that blockchain exists and it's, it's going to be very hard to pull down these blockchains once they're operational and have a network effect behind them. Mm. That vote and that democratic system, is it's infallible, which was mind-blowing for me. You know, that's just one we, we could... I wouldn't doubt that we're going to have governmental systems running on the back end of blockchains in the future. Mm. And so that everything that governments that we... I see as centralized will actually be running on decentralized systems. Mm. Uh, so we've talked about finance, governance, supply chain tracking, uh, being able to see, you know, I'm wearing this shirt here. Who made this shirt? Who grew the cotton that this shirt is made from? I don't know these questions. Who owned this shirt before? How much did they pay for it? Which mm. country did it come from? With blockchain technology and s- supply chain tracking, you'll be able to actually measure from the farmer who planted the seed all the way through the whole processes, the shipping, the costs, everything, who sew it together. To me, then I've actually got this at an op shop. I buy things from op shops now. Um, With their thrift shop in America. Thrift stores in America, yeah. Thrift store, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And uh, in the future, you'll be able to just simply use a QR code or maybe the technology will evolve again to be able to see where, when, who, how, why, all these things came into being. And it allows us a a level of sovereignty of our choices. You know, I believe Mm -hmm. where we put our value is also making a vote into the system. Like if I choose to purchase organic food, I'm voting, I want more organic food. And in this case, like when in the future, when the uh, supply chain systems are fully integrated, you'll be able to walk into a supermarket or a clothing retail shop scan the item that you're looking at and look you know was there slave labor behind it was mm. was someone underpaid to create this etc cetera, etc cetera? so that's another facet where it's going to 
fundamentally shift how we operate on the planet. Mm. Um, also looking at self-identity, you know, the identity of ourselves at the moment. There's so many websites that we've signed up, put our emails in for, social medias, WordPresses and Canvas and all these different websites where you're giving your identity out and trying to prove it's you, but there's identity through fraud and identity theft. And it's pretty easy actually to like kind of do this like SIM swap attack where if you've got a phone and it's attached to an email, someone can basically get a new SIM card, ring up your phone company, pretend that they're you, convince the phone company that they are you and then steal your data. You know, once they've got your SIM and that's so easy, it happens every day. And with identity on the blockchain, once you've established, I'm not sure necessarily which blockchains will do this the best, but once we've built our identity into the blockchain, it will be locked by you. You will have the private access to that identity documents and certification. But if you ever need to uh, prove that you are you for a driving test, a license for a flight, anything, whatever it is to purchase a product online, you can just use your private little key, not a physical key, a digital key. Mm. Uh, and you'll actually be able to, uh, prove to the system, not to a person, but to a centralized deep, sorry, decentralized system. Yes, this is me. I have all the access codes for my identity and you can then plug yourself into whatever, system or technology or software that you then need access to. Mm. Um, And these are just, we've mentioned, you know, a few little potential aspects from uh, blockchain that we have. We're starting to see uh, NFTs, so non-fungible tokens, which are, you know, I could own like a, a very rare Pokemon card, for example, and I could be holding that Pokemon card and, okay, this is a physical thing, But I think what's going to occur is in the future, if you just have the physical thing and don't have the digital um, blockchain-based version of that, how can you prove that you actually own this? You may Mm. have it, but where did you get it from? What did you pay for it? In the future, everything, property, shares for stocks, for like companies, uh, any sort of collectible, even vintage clothing will all be also separated will have this non-fungible token attached to it to prove uh ownership and to prove like it's where it came from in the past etc etc and it's this basically what we're saying seeing is the digitization of everything that we are as a species and we we are moving that could be a bit scary to some people Mm -hmm. but if we look at what's happening with with humans and with the internet, the advent of technology as we know it today, we are moving towards this digital medium. And in some ways it can create, you know, in our past, I think we've all experienced spending way too much time on social media, right? It can create some issues, but that's, we're still kind of kids in the playground, you know, picking up sand and eating sand because we don't know that we should just feel it between our toes so we're learning how to operate with this new tech and when we you know give it a few years when we start to really integrate into ourselves and really see it as an opportunity to create more ease in our life and to uh, create more abundance in our life and to Mm. stop waste yes uh, on big governmental uh, uh global planetary systems we'll actually be able to see 
it really bring back to us as individuals and as a collective this abundance. Mm. I think I think it ties directly into the abundance mindset. It's just going to basically put it up there on this virtual machine for us. And we, at that point, it kind of hits you in the face. You can't turn around and be like, no, there's lack because it's, it's right there in front of you. Wow. Amazing. So many real world applications that you went through for blockchain technology. And one of the, the things that came up for me is transparency. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of obviously nefarious intent and, and corruption within the system currently. And so if you can see, you know, for example, where the product came from and, and, you know, track its lineage, then it eliminates a lot of the the middlemen and it creates transparency where there's, there's no debate about where this came from and how it was made. Uh, another application I've heard, I'm a, a musician and a songwriter is like eliminating the record companies and the 80% they take off the top for songwriters. You know, when, a, when we create a new song or a new artistic creation, you're immediately attributed the percentage that you contributed to that on the blockchain and it's there forever. And then it's digitally mm -hmm. tracked whenever that's played or whenever it's performed or on Spotify and you get paid directly as the artist. So it's eliminating the middleman and the bloat within the system that that creates. Mm -hmm. Um, having said that, uh, I want to, because you always have to look at both sides, it's like there's obviously so many benefits to blockchain. What are the sort of nefarious, malevolent applications that could be coming from the blockchain? One that comes jumps to mind for me is because there's so much transparency and you know, everything is recorded on the ledger, it's a loss mm -hmm. of privacy. And that can be mm -hmm. manipulated to create sort of a surveillance state where everything mm -hmm. you do is monitored and recorded. And if you, um, you know, step out of line, there, there could be repercussions. So what are some of the things that you've come across that could be nefarious uses for blockchain? Mm, I think it, it definitely comes back to that. Is it decentralized or is it centralized? Yeah, right. So this technology can, like, I would say something like, I'm not saying they're nefarious, but Amazon have created their own blockchain, right. their AWS service, but they're a centralized company that mm. own, they, they don't have other nodes. They can fully choose, they can mute it, they can change it, they can adulterate it because it right. is centralized. Which is why they can take down Parler, for example, immediately because they were on their blockchain, on their servers. Exactly. Um, so if we are dis choosing decentralized systems or blockchains, that are created by, you have to do your research into these companies. You know, Bitcoin, the creators are anonymous and we don't know who they are, but mm -hmm. all of these other um, second generation blockchains, Ethereum, Cardano, et cetera, they do have some sort of centralized party that is has begun it. Um, are they moving towards a decentralized system? So, for example, Cardano is um, eventually... And it's sooner than later, they are going to be essentially releasing the virtual machine to the wild, to mm. us as the, the people who are operating on the system, you know, and the people who choose the governance and the direction it's going. And once it reaches, once, once they've built their little baby, they kind of give it to the world. And they actually, they only will have as much say in the future as we do at that point. Mm. Um, and so then, then at that point, you know, it, it is becoming the network that is the one operating it as opposed to one centralized party. So that, mm. that would be a way that someone nefarious could be coming in is if they're building 
a blockchain that is actually is actually centralized right and under one system where they can control where it's going and how it's operating and if something that happens they don't like they can change it that's not truly how blockchain is meant to operate um i think as well people will be creating uh, technologies that are what they call blockchains but they're actually not the same technology in a way to scam people defraud people probably around monetary systems mm. um you have to be very aware of that right now where the the industry is going through so much hype that you could come along you could come along and create this new wonder coin that's going to change everything and make everybody a, a billionaire and then just do what's called a rug pull and once everyone's placed their money into it take it take away everything and delete the website and they've just essentially taken all the money at that point mm. so that's nefarious actors utilizing the technology um you were talking about privacy mm. that's a really big one and you know the privacy of our data yeah. i think i would say that probably what's going to happen is we're going to see the technology come out in the blockchain space where each one of us will have our own unique personal chain uh that we can operate on ourselves that is only accessible by ourselves this this like identity one i was talking about before because you don't want everybody to have access to your identity right um unless you choose to give it out so we already have seen blockchains that have been created where you can send money anonymously and it it actually you don't have the ledger visible to anybody in the world mm. uh it is it is private and i think we can utilize that maybe with money that's not so necessary because if why do you need to hide where you're spending your money like the mm. money needs should actually really be open source but um when it comes to like identity and self data or data depending which country you're in uh to have your own private accessible chain that securely stores it forever and maybe it can be like um decentralized and stored on other computers but and other nodes but they don't have access to it unless they have the private key that i mentioned right uh to actually get access to that information right so mm. it'd be like you like kind of how cloud technology you know all of our data is up in the cloud but only we have the key to be able to access it that right. would be i would say the direction will go um and we you know we'll have to go through many tests of how hackable is these systems and how infallible and the you know the technology is unfolding to see how that's going to fully function and fully work we can have the open source everybody can see every transaction on bitcoin plus also the closed loop only when you give access can you see this and you know as i said with identity before say you want to sign up for a new social media that you need to prove your identity for uh you won't need to give your identity to a person and say prove to that person that you are real which is the way now so you're giving your info to a centralized source mm-hmm. you just have to unlock have literally the proof is that you have the keys to unlock your identity information and that plugs it into the the uh what are they the social media uh system that you wanting to integrate right. with and it's actually the virtual machine it's saying okay you have the proof of legitimacy here one quick look access done cool and then they can actually it will close it off and it will no longer have access to that identity 
you've just proven it's that's who you are. Mm. And um, as well, like you spoke about music, you know, and I think that's a huge application for blockchain. Yeah. And like you may, you may as a musician write a whole album and every song you release onto the blockchain and your album is actually built onto a blockchain, but you may not want to release that album for another year because you might have an actual like world tour release date, et cetera, et cetera. You have one single that's out. So you can choose to, okay, I'm going to have all these on the blockchain and stored there so they're secure, like a mm. hard drive or or the cloud. It's secure and it's stored and it's it's being stored on multiple nodes around the world, but only I have the access to it. Mm. And then you can come in later and say, okay, it's time to release it. And choose the parameters and say, okay, release this album, right? And so at that point, that's when you're saying, okay, now it's becoming open to the world. But not anyone can come along then and just rip it off. Like on YouTube or, you know, all of these music operating websites, you can just download the song in different ways. With blockchain, you can set, okay, you could say, okay, I want to, I want to pay per view. So every time, well, listen, every time someone listens, you might just accept a microtransaction, mm. five, 10 cents, whatever it is, one cent. It might be a pay per, pay per minute or pay per second. Uh, you might choose, okay, you can rent this song and you mm. get royalties for when it's played out. Or you could just have it open source and be like, okay, this whole album, um, one song is for everybody. It's for free. You can use it in videos, blah, blah, blah. That's for the world. This song is able to be rented and you pay me to use it in your videos and stuff like that as a royalty. This song is a pay per second. You can affect and change all the parameters uh, for each individual piece of data that you integrate into the system. And if you choose in the future, you're like, okay, this this song is actually a limited release. It's only Mm -hmm. going to be available to anybody who buys it and maybe gets access off it Maybe there's only a hundred of them and then I can lock it. And it's once you've bought it, you've bought it and you own it. But then after that, it's locked and no one else can actually have access to that as well. So you can Mm -hmm. turn it private again. Um, So there is always with the advent of technology room for nefarious activity. I'm sure from, you know, the early days of mining gold to the internet to everything that's occurred people unfortunately are greedy and are going to be heading down that path but it'd be very interesting to watch how as blockchain does fundamentally shift how we operate people might realize that it actually is better to be a player in the system as opposed to trying to abuse the system yeah and i i wouldn't doubt i'm just kind of playing with my thoughts here but i wouldn't doubt that at some point the people who as as scammers will turn around and go, it's actually going to be better off for me to actually just join this and not scam, <laughs> yeah. which will be very interesting. At that that would be nice, right? <laughs> awesome. Well, that was beautifully um, articulated and explained the, the blockchain technology because it is uh, complex and it is uh, difficult to understand. So thanks for sharing your knowledge around that. We have talked about, uh, and I don't want to keep you too long, dude. We could just talk all day, but uh, just have a couple more questions for you. This is so awesome. Thank you, Pierce. Um, but we've talked about gold. You've brought up a couple of times. And I mentioned about you know the financial system uh, based on the US dollar as the global reserve currency that is currently faltering um, when they decoupled from gold as the, as the gold standard uh, backed by gold the dollar um, is now they're just printing money 
going out of style and that is obviously unsustainable. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, and for the listeners, if you know, maybe you've been living under a rock, but Bitcoin has been in the news a lot lately um, about, you know, as being a hedge, a store of value against the devaluation of the dollar. Uh, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are, Pierce, about, you know, is Bitcoin moving towards the next global currency? Is that a possibility? And what's to stop again from, you know, the these nation states or elites from instituting like their own centralized currency that you know sort of um, disempowers the blockchain and puts power back in the the control of central bankers mm, mm, uh, great question <laughs> i definitely i definitely think bitcoin's here to stay it has a great chance of becoming a new global reserve as we have seen in history every hundred years or so we change the global reserve we are living in a planetary system now. It's no longer just separate countries. So it's time to have a single unifying planetary system. I will say that Bitcoin won't be the only one, mm. the only blockchain with fat financial value on it and may not be the actual currency of choice that may, as Bitcoin is being termed as digital gold. So we don't actually use gold now to transact mostly. We are using a more um, more tangible, like more of a current flow of value. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are other, I would say that there are other blockchains that are being developed that will solve the general day-to-day -day transactions. And Bitcoin will then be acting more as a store of value. Mm -hmm. That will be my kind of view on it. And it, it seems though, like having watched the markets now for a few years, the uh, crypto markets, Bitcoin acts as the reserve for all these other coins. When Bitcoin moves, the other coins move as well. And um, I, I would say it is definitely a risk, a risk for any person with a spare few hundred dollars. I've been saying this for a year now. Anyone, if you have a spare few hundred dollars to not put it into Bitcoin, uh, to have it, you know, it's a risk, you know, and I was saying this when Bitcoin was five grand. If you had mm. a couple hundred dollars, I said this to some friends, if you had a couple hundred dollars, put it in Bitcoin, forget about the money, kiss it goodbye and just watch what happens. And, you know, now that's worth $1,000, right? Uh, I think it's a risk not to own a little bit of it. Eventually you will probably own it anyway. So you may as well get in now. Mm. Um, and even if that means when it comes to, there is that decentralized currency that becomes the main accepted form of currency on the planet, you've already got the base goal to be able to buy into that currency and get more value mm. for it than just using your fiat money that you have. Um, how, how could a centralized government reign power back? If, if, if a centralized government came up with a system or a blockchain that was similar and we as a people the global, the planetary people decided to choose a centralized system and actually utilize that network, that would be how that they would gain power mm. and gain control. Uh, so it's up to our choice, you know, where, where we spend our dollars and what we do with our value is our individual sovereign choice. And 
if we like I choose to stay utilizing blockchain that is decentralized like Bitcoin and Cardano, I'm choosing that that's where I want to transact. If I don't put any of my value into this new imaginary that we're talking about created governmental mm. blockchain, they don't have any power because they don't have any network effect. But is there a way to forcibly implement that though? Like, could the government come up with a centralized banking currency and say outlaw a Bitcoin or make the taxation on cryptocurrency uh, so prohibitive that it just becomes you, you're forced to, to move into the centralized currency? Mm, yeah, I'm sure at some <laughs> point they will. They're going to try. try. Yeah. They're going to try it. And that, like, as far as I see it, it's nothing to do with the governments. Right. They haven't created this. It's, and I don't remember signing any documents when I was a baby saying that I actually have to play with their system. You know, okay. I've, I've played in their system and I pay tax when I play in their system. But when I'm utilizing this technology that's nothing to do with them, why would I be, you know, choosing to play with them when mm. I don't actually believe in what they're doing. And I'm not saying don't pay taxes. I've, if you are buying cryptocurrencies for, you know, trading it, trying to make money, pay taxes, otherwise you get in trouble. But if you're actually le- utilizing it to exit those systems, then you're ch- you're like by choice, you're actually choosing not to play in their systems or by their rules. Mm. Will they become a total- totalitarianism? totalitarianism that's a, um, that's a tough word that's the one will they become <laughs> one of those governments where they enforce rules upon us at that point we're gonna have to stand up as a people you yeah. know like that's that's when maybe revolution comes about and i hope it doesn't go that route like in america like very very close to a civil war mm. and i was in america last year and i experienced that and it was it was shocking mm. um the unfolding is going to be very interesting. And again, I just, I, my hope, my hope would be that the governments realize that actually this system is better for them as well. Mm. It's better to offer freedoms to the people and integrate these new uh, technologies into their legacy systems and transmute over into this new style of functioning and play with it. I think that they'll actually find that people will work with them more. And if that means, you know, integrating taxes and stuff into that from sales and purchases in the future, great. Like that's mm-hmm. a fantastic thing. We'll actually be able to start to see where our tax goes. Right yeah. now we pay tax and it just disappears. They say <laughs> they built a road, but they, right. Yeah. We'll actually be able to say, okay, I pay my tax and I can track where that money went. If totally. it went to one unique, one individual person, or if it went to build a new school, yeah. Uh, so it's in their best interests to play with it. And we're starting to see that. We're seeing many, many, many central banks around the world start to look at um, central bank digital currencies. I know America has now made it legal for all of their banks to basically hold Bitcoin and stable coins. So I think mm. that's definitely the right direction to go. It's too far gone. If they were yeah. going to shut it down, they would have had to do it. 10, 20, 20 years ago, but like eight, nine years ago yeah. when Bitcoin was still a baby. It's now very well spread around the world. There's now many, many people who operate entirely 
off cryptocurrencies and don't even touch the legacy financial system. Um, and it would, it would have to take firepower. It would have to take actual, like, unfortunately, war if they were going to try and implement these new systems upon us, unless we're that asleep as a people. Like, I really hope we're not that asleep. <laughs> I hope so too, brother. I hope so too. Yeah. Well, I hope yeah, that answers and, your question. Yeah, it totally does. And you know, like you said about transparency, knowing where your tax dollar goes, like that can end corruption and you know, um, crony capitalism like overnight if we can actually see where our tax dollars are going. So that is a beautiful um, application. Uh, dude, we could talk all day. This has just been so awesome. I'm so grateful for you coming on the show and it's sharing your knowledge and your passion so much wisdom shared today uh i just have one more question for you i love asking this to my guests if you were to take all of your experiences all of your knowledge all the wisdom gained and distill it down to one message or one sentence what would it be be the one Beautiful. Mic drop. Pierce Hampton, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, so awesome, dude. So awesome to connect with you. Do you want to let people know where they can find you online? Yeah, you can find me on my Instagram at Piers Hampton. Uh, and you can also find, I do have some YouTube stuff up there as well. So search my name on YouTube, Piers Hampton, and also my website as well, www.piershampton.com. And yeah, feel free to reach out to me, ask me any questions and yeah, keep the conversation rolling. I yes. love doing this with you, Patrick. It was yeah. so wonderful. Like so as you good. said, we keep chatting all day and I'm sure <laughs> we will do this again. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back on the show. Pierce Hampton, I'll put all those uh, um, links in the show notes so people can reach you. And dude, again, so much gratitude for you and thank you for all the work you're doing in the world. Much love, brother. Thank you. So much love to you. All right, folks. Cheers. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate, and review. For more information and show notes, head on over to being-podcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember, live your being.